0: To become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have someone who is educating kids and their parents on the role food plays in their health. We're talking with Lori Outing about food inequity impacting kids' health. Lori is an RN currently working at Rush University Medical Center as a pediatric nurse. She was raised in rural Michigan, where she spent much of her life working in cultivation of gardens raising her three daughters, and active in volunteer organizations and nursing. Working with local community organizations, she is moving toward opening an indoor year-round farmer's market, greenhouses with vertical hydroponics, and a spirulina farm. Her Southside Chicago project will employ commercial kitchen facilities to provide inner-city communities a path back to prosperity through self-enabled local food industries. She is engaging local educators and school districts in programming designed to include children, spending more time outdoors, working in hands-on, team-based projects in nature, all while learning to grow food to enrich STEM learning. Welcome to the show today, Lori. Are you ready to rock? I am. Excellent. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today?
1: Sure. So as you pointed out, I grew up in rural Michigan and kind of took took it for granted that I had this big garden in the backyard. I could send my kids outside, hey, go pick some food, what you want for dinner, bring it into the house. And we cooked it. When I moved to the city of Chicago in 2008, I moved to the west side of Chicago and there was not a grocery store anywhere within sight, let alone within walking distance, Wow! except for a little corner. Yeah. Little corner stores where you could go basically buy junk food and there was like not a stitch of fruit or produce to be seen. And and it was truly culture shock for me. Working as a nurse in a community hospital in Michigan to coming to an inner city uh, hospital at Rush, there was a big difference in the patients that I saw and the health of the kids that, that we were treating.
0: I'll bet.
1: I was really shocked at the amount of obesity with malnutrition, which I didn't really even know was a thing that you could be obese and malnourished at the same time.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Kids younger and younger with diabetes, you know, six, seven, eight year olds that we're trying to teach how to eat, what carbs are and you know, what their blood sugar is and, and all of those kinds of things. And, and also something that's really disturbing is that we, we get kids on a regular basis that are so chronically constipated, we are putting tubes in their nose and forcing medication into them until they basically, you know, clean themselves out of being constipated for, and sometimes this takes four or five days. Wow. And these kids, they go out the door with a bag of Cheetos in their hand and, you know, we see them again in a month or two months and it's just a reoccurring problem. So over the last 10 years of working at Rush on the Peds floor, you know, I just came to the point where, you know, I realized what we're doing by literally treating these kids on the back end is not working. And we really need to address the problems that are outside of the hospital that bring them to the hospital.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's not just a matter of, you know, access to healthy food. It's what it, what is healthy food? <laughs> right. How do we cook the healthy food? You know, all of those kinds of things that need to be addressed. So that's where I kind of came up with this idea of, you know, making making healthy food not only accessible but affordable. And providing the means to teach people how to grow their own food, you know, what the nutritional value of things are and how to cook it really simply. It doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to be complicated. If you think about how our grandparents were eating, you know, it was very simple. They went to the backyard. They, you know, pulled stuff out of their garden and they brought it to the kitchen and they cooked it. They knew where their food came from. If they didn't grow something, they knew somebody down the street who did. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: You know, I think that in a lot of ways, the industrialized food system has given us convenience, but it's also done a lot of detrimental things to the health of people.
0: So you moving to... Is it South Chicago?
1: Yeah, I live on the south side now of Chicago in in a neighborhood called Bronzeville, which has a really interesting history of musical history and literary history, you know, of the jazz musicians that lived in this neighborhood. So it's got a really interesting history. And the people in the neighborhood are phenomenal. The history is amazing. And it's a very diverse neighborhood that's, you know, seeing a lot of changes. People that have been in the neighborhood for, you know, 20, 30 years, and then we have new people coming in. So, you know, there's a lot of potential, you know, for for changes to be made in the neighborhood. And people are really looking for businesses that will help them be healthier. Uh-huh. You know, I think all over the city, but especially in neighborhoods where there's not a plethora of grocery stores and, you know, there's people in every neighborhood that can't necessarily afford to shop at Whole Foods, but everyone deserves to have healthy food Yeah, and it's doable.
0: So when you moved to South Chicago, is this when you discovered this?
1: Well, no, actually I lived, when I moved from Michigan in 2008, I lived on the West side of Chicago in North Lawndale, which was a, you know, fairly poverty stricken neighborhood and it was a huge culture shock because, like I said, there was no grocery stores, you know, just the little corner stores where you, you, the only thing you could get is like soda and chips and, you know, junk food essentially. So I noticed the difference then and I spent a a good deal of time in that neighborhood and, you know, we tried to start a community garden. There was really no interest. And so it was really difficult to make changes there. And in in the city of Chicago, you have aldermen that are, you know, kind of oversee the different wards of the city. So, there's 50 different wards in the city, and the alderman, you know, kind of has this area that they're in charge of development and that kind of thing. So, if you live in an area where there's an alderman who's not really interested in community gardens, which was the case, you know, when I lived on the west side, you know, we couldn't really do anything. Mm So, you know, I ended up moving to the South side to Bronzeville and the alderman that we have here is it, she's very into doing things and development that will be beneficial to the entire community. So when I pitched this, this project to her, she was very excited about it and got on board, which is one of the things that's kind of essential to move any project forward with the city of Chicago. So she's been great and very supportive in the community. I, I had to do a town hall meeting where I presented the project and the people in the community were very supportive as well. And people are calling her office and asking when it's going to get started. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Yeah. So it's pretty exciting that, you know, I feel like the, the community is very much on board, which is very inspiring to me, you know, to have everyone be so excited about it. And we have a really robust urban agriculture community in the city of Chicago. There's a group called Advocates for Urban Agriculture culture that is a group, a nonprofit that is basically a group that kind of gets people together that are within the urban agriculture system, farmers, you know, any food business people, that kind of thing. And we just all come together and do events and kind of support each other. And it's so inspiring to go there and to be surrounded by people who are trying to do these great things in the city. Well, you know, farmers who are very small and they're going to the farmer's market and they're they're doing their part in trying to change the food system in Chicago and to help people become healthier.
0: So why do you suppose this food inequity is so pervasive?
1: Um, that's a good question. I think, you know, there's, there's still a lot of segregation in neighborhoods in the city of Chicago. Mm-hmm. So you you have neighborhoods where there's not, you know, grocery stores. And because the neighborhoods are smaller and the income levels are lower, the bigger grocery stores won't necessarily come into those neighborhoods. You know, so then you're setting yourself up for, you know, having this poor access to, you know, quality food. There is a Whole Foods that came to the south side of Chicago And, you know, the city of Chicago will give businesses like that incentives to come into those neighborhoods, Mm -hmm. but not everybody, there's still, you know, there's still some cultural barriers about, you know, whole foods and, you know, you need to kind of go where the people are and ask them what it is that you need. What is it that you want in your neighborhood? What kind of food is it that you would like to have in your community? And really, you know, not just make an assumption that, hey, we're going to plop a Whole Foods in the middle of this neighborhood, and it's going to do well, and people are going to be happy about it. That doesn't always work. So I think that part of the issue is, you know, maybe big developers don't necessarily go to the people and ask them what it is that they they really need.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. And you also, and I see this in my notes for the talk today, you Talk about going backwards in the food system. What do you mean by that?
1: You know, like I said, the industrialized food system has provided a lot of convenience, Mm -hmm. made things easier and quicker. But in doing that, we have all this processed food now.
2: Got it.
1: So, you know, the the obesity of the kids and and the overall poor health outcomes of, you know, of the the United States has pretty much, you know, shown that the processed foods have contributed to a lot of that. So in going backwards, what I mean is really making it much more simple, cooking simple foods, whole foods, plant-based diets really thinking about where it is that your food comes from. You know, when people go to the grocery store and they pick a tomato off the shelf, they're probably not aware that that tomato is already three weeks off the vine Mm -hmm. or that it was potentially gassed in a warehouse to get it to turn red. And from the moment you pick something, it starts to lose its nutritional value. So if you've got a tomato that's been off the vine for three weeks or you pick one from your backyard, the nutritional value is going to be different. So, you know, getting people to the point where local food truly is local, Meaning, you know, within 100 to 150, maybe 200 miles of where you live, Mm -hmm. knowing where your food comes from and really trying to be, like I say, go backwards and be much more simple as to our food system and what it used to be.
0: Yeah. I, you, you, when you said 150 or 200, I was hoping you were going to say feet, not miles.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I'm trying to be realistic. <laughs> there you yeah. go. You know, in, you the go. City, in the city of Chicago, we do have winter. So, you know, we there are things that we can't get year round. Mm-hmm. Although, you know, our ancestors survived by eating root vegetables during those time of year. So there you go. it's not that it can't be done. And, the, you know, the the technology of new greenhouse systems you know, are much more energy efficient. The greenhouse that I'm using is actually a company out of Colorado called Sears Greenhouses, where they're actually building greenhouses that are net zero.
0: Oh, yes. Which
1: is amazing. If you know anything about greenhouses, they're like a huge energy
0: sucker. Yeah. I think (laughs) they've been on, I think we've had them on our podcast.
1: Oh, okay. A
0: few hundred episodes ago. So yeah.
1: it's, It's, it's amazing. And so we're, that's the kind of greenhouse we're bringing here to the city. And I'm hoping that we'll be able to have more greenhouses and get urban agriculture to be a bigger, more widespread thing than just a community garden in a vacant lot here and there. Yeah. But I think we have to have a culture change in, in, in cities. I'm finding that People, and I've actually had people say this to me, I don't like how the greenhouse looks. I don't like what it looks like in the city. Uh And I just, I'm kind of taken aback by that because I'm like, uh, do you know where your food is coming from? This is where your food is coming from. Wouldn't you rather have a greenhouse, you know, on your vacant lot next to your house that brings you fresh food as opposed to eating food that's three weeks old? So I think it's, you Uh, know, yeah, uh, yeah.
2: Yeah, take a deep
1: breath. I know, yes. So, coming, you know, coming from a rural background to a city, inner city background is, it definitely provides some challenges, but I do think that urban agriculture is something that can be moved forward
2: and utilize
1: the technology in a way that you know, enables us to have a more robust local food system anywhere in any city.
0: Yeah. So going backwards isn't a bad thing.
1: No, not (laughs) in this case. No. Simple foods are much better.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So tell me what you're doing about it. It's your, your projects sound really exciting.
1: Well, in looking at all the different things that are causing the issues with a lot of these kids that are coming to the hospital it's not just about like i said having access to affordable food we need to be teaching kids at a younger age where their food comes from and how to grow it but also working with the families in you know utilizing that knowledge that we're teaching the kids along with the parents in this is how we can grow food. And if you have a windowsill, you can grow something. Mm-hmm. There's thousands and thousands of vacant city lots in the city of Chicago that you know, could be utilized you know, for community gardens much more so than they, than they are. And I think that teaching the kids in schools Providing this space that we're developing to have a place where everything is under one roof. We're growing the food, we're teaching them how to grow it, but we're also teaching them the nutritional value. Rush is going to have some of their dietary students come and teach nutrition classes to kids. You know, providing cooking classes for the families and getting families back to the table and not only cooking together but eating together, sitting down and eating together as a family and as a community. So this space where we have the market, we have the kitchens, we have the classrooms, we have the greenhouse, we have outdoor space with the community bread and pizza oven where we can have community dinners and we can teach families how to cook simply and how to take simple foods that we've grown, pick it from the greenhouse, bring it into the kitchen, and cook it
0: that's making all the connections. What kind of success are you seeing with this?
1: You know what Th- there are different projects throughout the city that have had some success in the Chicago Botanical Gardens has a nonprofit arm called Windy City Harvest. And they have a greenhouse over on the west side of town that was just built in the last year or so called the Farm on Ogden. And they're doing some great things there. They're teaching people. They're they have internships where they actually teach people farming. They're doing aquaponics there. Nice. And then they also have they have classes and they also have, you know, farmers markets and on a regular basis. So the people from that community are, you know, seeing their food growing there and they're able to go in there and purchase the most amazing fresh vegetables right in their own neighborhood, which is incredible. There's, you know, a huge commercial kitchen project on the west side of town called the Hatchery, which it has a multitude of commercial kitchens and space for people that have food businesses and small, you know, like catering and baking and that kind of thing. And they can rent their, rent their spaces. So we're helping all those businesses. And what I'm trying to do is not only providing education, but we're helping all these small businesses kind of grow. So, you know, the impact that that has on a community is amazing. You know, yes, you can plop a target in the middle of your neighborhood, and it's great for people to come and shop. But is it putting money into their pocket? Is it mm-hmm. helping them be healthier? Is it helping them, you know, eat healthier? Is it helping them grow their business? Is it providing education? You know, these small, you know, owned locally owned businesses that are doing that are making the communities healthier. You know, on a on a smaller basis. But these small steps are making a big change.
0: Yeah. And so your project, tell me about your project and where we are with that. Because you said you presented it to the city and people are calling saying, when's it going to happen? So tell me about that.
1: (laughs) Well, the city of Chicago is, of course, the city of Chicago, like any government bureaucracy, it takes a while to get through the process. So I'm actually purchasing land from the city of Chicago to build this thing from the ground up. So right now we're in the stage where I'm, you know, I've presented all the information and we're negotiating the the terms of the land sale. Mm -hmm. So I still have a couple other steps as far as going in front of the city council and that kind of thing. So a few more steps to kind of get through before the paper is actually signed and sealed But, you know, at this point, they've committed to selling me the property and the alderman is on board. And so it's just a matter of getting through the rest of the hoops. And then we're hoping to be able to break ground, you know, late spring, early summer, hopefully. So it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a big, takes up to half a city block. So it's a pretty good size lot. And it also includes, besides the market building and the greenhouse, There's also a mixed-use residential building that has apartments and commercial space on the ground floor. So it's truly a one-village concept where you can live, you can buy your food, Mm -hmm. you can have a business, all in one area.
0: And when do you think the doors will open if you were... If you were guessing,
1: I'm going to guess to be hopeful, I would say, you know, late this year, but probably early next spring, as far as everything being completed and totally, Mm -hmm. you know, on board and running. So
0: awesome. And in your bio, it says a spirulina farm. Tell me a little bit about that.
1: So I have been, you know, in my going backwards and, and looking for, you know, the most, the, the simple, most nutrition-dense kinds of foods that we can grow,
2: Uh
1: I came across through a friend of mine that lives in California. He had some friends in New Mexico who had the Santa Fe College, community college there who were doing an aquaponic seminar and a growing spirulina seminar. So, I decided I was going to go to that, so I went to this seminar, and it was the first one that they had actually put on apogee spirulina is the name of the company through Santa Fe Community College. So uh-huh. we got a, a you know a week of aquaponics training and then growing spirulina and the spirulina system that they use there is very much you know in other countries, spirulina is grown quote unquote in ponds. And that's, you know, it's like in India, in other countries, it's very simple. The spirulina is growing, they scoop it out, you know, they kind of squish out the water and they eat it and it's fresh and it's super nutritious. So this spirulina farmer does the same thing. He learned in France at, at, you know, spirulina farms there how to grow the spirulina just in ponds in a greenhouse, and you walk in there where the ponds are, and it's just like this really zen experience. I don't even know how to describe it. Like I just want to put a hammock in here and just sit.
2: <laughs> nice. <laughs>
1: it's very, <laughs> it's very calming, and you know the water is still and the spirulina is growing, and you just literally take a scoop, you know, a bucket and you put it, you know, into like a sieve and the water kind of falls out, you wrap it in a cheesecloth and you squish out the water, it dries and then you just crumble it and you can eat it fresh or you can eat it dried, like crumbled in smoothies Mm -hmm. or, and it's super nutritious. So I thought I really need to do that because, you know, if we are trying to provide the most nutritious food for these kids that live in the city and they're constantly exposed to heavy metals from pollution and lead and paint in these old houses in Chicago. Mm -hmm. Spirulina, you know, helps to chelate heavy metals. So this is something that we can give to kids, you know, a, a small amount in a smoothie and it, you know, it will provide this great nutrition for them. So, you know, that was my thought was to be able to, you know, grow the spirulina, to have this really nutritious food, to be able to, you know, feed the kids of the neighborhood, Yeah. stop on their way to school and have a spirulina, you know, have a smoothie with some spirulina in it and then go on to school and your brain is functioning so much better than if you just ate that bowl of Captain Crunch.
0: <laughs> right. Wow. Well, there's no doubt that you're not passionate about this.
1: Yep. Definitely. Yeah. I think it's the, you know, being, being a nurse for 32 years and a mother and a grandmother, it just, you know, I feel like I need to do something to kind of change the way the food system is, especially here in the city.
0: Yeah. No kidding. So I'm going to shift on you and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you might've learned from it
1: okay, so this was actually kind of a recent failure. In, you know, having all this gardening experience, I made the assumption that I, you know, I I wanted to try to grow microgreens. And I had Attended this urban, this master urban farmer class through the University of Illinois Extension, and during that class, we talked about microgreens and you know how nutritious they are and how simple they are to grow. And so they gave us some seeds, and we went home and we grew our microgreens, and it was amazing. And so I thought, well, I'm going to do that. I'm going to order my own seeds, and I'm going to you know grow some microgreens, and I'm going to try some different ones so I can you know see the flavors and that kind of thing. So I found this company that you know does. Like, mix different kinds of seeds for microgreens. So, there might be broccoli and clover and alfalfa all mixed together. So, I got the seeds, you know, I opened the box, I had ordered some hemp fiber planter, you know, things to put the seeds on. So, I get the seeds, I put them on the hemp fiber, and I'm watering and, you know, faithfully watering twice a day and nothing. (laughs) There's not a sprout in sight or like. You know, I was thinking when I planted the microgreens before, it had only taken a couple of days and like a week had gone by and like nothing. And I'm like still watering. Well, maybe I missed, and now I think uh, maybe I missed a day and okay, maybe I just need a little bit longer. And you know, it's like, okay, 10 days go by and there's nothing. And I'm just thinking, oh my gosh, here I am trying to do this, you know, $6 million project with the greenhouse and I can't even grow microgreens. (laughs) 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 I'm like, you know, kind of in a moment of panic. And then I decided, well, maybe I should get the box out and actually look at the instructions. (laughs) And so I did that. And lo and behold, I was supposed to soak those before I actually planted them. So lesson learned, you know, kind of. And this this is something that I've known about myself. Sometimes I have to, like, take a step back. I get Uh so excited about something and I just, like, bowl forward. And I'm like, okay, step back, take a breath. Maybe read the instructions. <laughs> so that's what I did. Yeah. And now I actually have two big, you know, trays of microgreens growing. So.
0: <laughs> Beautiful. Lesson learned. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. So what do you consider your biggest success?
1: Oh, and you know what? It actually, is something pretty simple. I really consider my biggest success in raising three daughters that have turned out to be great human beings. In that they are kind and compassionate and, you know, love people and animals and the earth. And, you know, now I have this, this great three-year-old granddaughter who inspires me to do all this work to make the earth a better place. Mm-hmm. So oh, yeah. I would say that's that's probably my biggest success is, you know, seeing them grow and into, you know, great human beings. So.
0: So that might touch on what drives you as well, because I know that the, I don't have children, but the reason that I do what I do every day is for the children and the grandchildren of the world out there. So what drives you?
1: Yeah, I would definitely agree. I would say the children and grandchildren, my patients that I see. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I when I'm working and I'm, I'm actually doing things that that trying to help them, but it's really causing them to suffer And in trying to, you know, come up with things that we can do to prevent that suffering, you know, having people learn how to eat healthier, and really, you know, like they say, food is definitely medicine. But it can also be poison if you use it in the wrong way. (laughs) So, you know, trying to – so I would definitely say my kids, my granddaughter – but my patients too. And people, you know, people in this world that we, we need to get back to the basics.
0: Yeah. You know, a a little earlier, you mentioned uh, healthy food. I'm going to jump in here and ask you what your definition of healthy food might be.
1: You know what I would say simple, you know, simple food. So foods as close to the earth as possible so, you know, processed foods, you know, foods that have a lot of added ingredients to them. The more you add, you know, it tends to be the less healthy it becomes. So, you know, I've tried to even just change my diet a little in, you know, trying not to eat, you know, added sugar, processed foods. Mm-hmm. Even just eating a little bit less meat, you know, every, you know, little bit that you can do, you know, drinking almond milk instead of regular milk, you know, little changes. But healthy foods, I would say, are the simple foods, you know, whole foods, plant-based, you know, foods, that kind of thing.
0: Excellent. Yeah, I'm... I always ask my students in classes that question and it makes them think.
1: Yeah. I think there's definitely different definitions for that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So if you could recommend one book for your listeners, what would it be and why?
1: Oh, this was a really, really hard question for me because I'm a voracious reader Mm -hmm. and I just actually received my green print book from Margo, uh, Marco Borges, which I haven't started reading yet. So I'm not going to say that one. One of the books that I've found really interesting in thinking about Starting a business is a book called Tribes by Seth Godin. Oh yes. Yeah. So I really like in there how he talks about, you know, tribes have been around forever. Since people have been on the earth, people have been connected to each other. And in learning how to be a good leader, it's more about, you know, connecting to people and and helping people communicate with each other as opposed to you know, commanding people to follow you kind of thing.
2: Mm-hmm. So,
1: you know, having your tribe, you know, will help you be more successful. And and for me, the, I have many different tribes. I have my great tribe of nurses that I work with at Rush who, you know, we support each other through some really rough days. And, you know, then I have my family tribe, but I have my urban agriculture tribe here who inspire me all the time to, you know, work harder to change the system. So I, you know, I think that, you know, having a tribe that you can have commonalities with, you know, can definitely make you more successful.
0: And happier.
1: And much happier. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That is an excellent book. Good choice. So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners?
1: A couple things. One, it's never too late to try something new. (laughs) I'm going to be 55 this year. And this is a, you know, I've been a nurse for 33 years. And, you know, this is kind of a whole new project for me but to you know what jump in there with your passion and what you love to do and it really you know keeps you young but also if you are wanting to make changes in your life big changes start with small steps and know that every small step is getting you closer to that big change
0: nice excellent well thank you so much for joining us on the show today Laurie thank you so how can our listeners find out more about you and get a hold of you
1: so, my website is foodmatters.life and the email is info at foodmatters.life.
0: Perfect. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash food matters. We are your urban farming resource. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and everywhere podcasts are found. Also, visit urbanfarm.org to find articles